You gonna remember to edit out the urination break this time? I mean, I make no guarantee. This movie has no memorable lines, boys, in the house. <laughs> this movie has no memorable lines. Uh, there's one um, scene where they try to make it memorable um, because the Hudson character... Oh, by the way, the film we're talking about today is uh, 50% a remake of Aliens. Uh, the <laughs> Hudson character does try with uh, they got the Sarge, but... Oh, yeah. I can't really remember the full thing, and it was stupid and horrible. Yeah, there's only like one line of sem- or one bit of semi-memorable dialogue in this movie, as far as I am concerned. It's real early on, and it's delivered by Sid Haig. Um, oh, oh, right. But that's it. <laughs> like, I'm trying to guess the line. I'm guessing it's the the one that's also a reference. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This movie has references in it. Oh my god, does it have references? Yeah, House of the Dead 2. Uh, that's the film, if, if you've not been paying attention to the series so far. House of the Dead 2 is the film we're talking about. And yeah, the finest references the mid-2000s had to offer. <laughs> they, are, they were so fresh and so hot Well, they were when, so f- they were when so this f- came out. <laughs> they were so fresh and so hot. That bloody disgusting. Loved this film. <laughs> uh, I I just like to read uh, a piece of the uh, the three out of five star review that bloody disgusting wrote. Just so for... people have a sense of what they're in for. Yeah, yeah. This. So that yeah. so that people know just how good this film is. Uh, Altman's script. Altman wrote it. He wrote the the first House of the Dead, which is one of the earlier movie boys uh, spin yeah. doctors is that we did. Uh, but Altman's script skewers everything in its wake, poking fun at virtually anything it can get its bloody hands on. But underneath all the pop culture banter lies an effective film with some palpable tension and enough blood, grew, and boobs to surprise even the most jaded zombie movie hater. <laughs> uh, where would you describe yourself on the spectrum of opinions regarding zombie movies, first and foremost? I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't class yourself as a jaded zombie movie hater. No, no, I would not. I would, no. I would actually call myself an appreciator of the zombie milieu. Right, right. Okay, so, so this movie could really, you know, surprise and reel in even the most jaded hater. You, as an appreciator, <laughs> as an as an aficionado of the zombie subgenre, I should you... be right there in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, can I ask yep. you a question? You sure can. Now, did this film contain enough blood, grew, and boobs to surprise you? No. It it contained exactly the amount of... Was it... Was it blood, grew... Blood, grew, and boobs? And boobs. Yeah, actually, judging by the budget of the film, as it seems to... And what was the budget of this film? Because I always like to know that. <laughs> 50 bucks. <laughs> I there think... isn't even a production section on its Wikipedia page. Oh, my God. Yeah, they don't. Oh. 
you get the plot. Well, I guess I cast. guess maybe because it was uh, it was like direct to, to DVD. Maybe they don't like that. That info doesn't come out as publicly. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe no. But no, I mean, I mean, judging judging by the overall quality level in general, it had exactly the amount of those things that I would have expected this film to have. Yeah. Lots if of anything, if anything, less boobs. Yeah. So I would not say there were enough to surprise. I mean, I would say... uh, I I was surprised by how little there were. So too few to surprise. I was Um, not surprised by how quickly we were provided them. Yeah, yeah. Immediately the breasts are exposed for our pleasure. And And it's exactly how these these go. Yeah, (laughs) it's important to note because that is exactly how these films start. Uh, It wasn't surprising. Uh, the movie starts with uh, what I would classify as um, uh, a comedy sexual assault scene uh, where women are attacked, uh, but most of them are fine with it, so it's okay. And and we, we, we just kind of don't think about the, the ones that aren't fine with it. And also, this film is classified, uh, at least in some databases, as a teen movie. <laughs> It's got teens in it, but it ain't a teen movie. I think some people just watch the first three minutes where yeah. you could be convinced it's like Road Trip 2 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they watched further than that. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the breasts are exposed for our pleasure, but not all that often. In fact, only one real scene of boobs. And then a lot of, not even a lot of, just sometimes zombie boobs. Sometimes, sometimes, um, and, and this isn't determining the quality the of the film. Boobs, no, by the no, way. like I don't no. think those count. I and think if that you counts do as think gross. Count. <laughs> if you do think those count, I mean, then... I'm not shaming. You know, you, you no. can do whatever you're into. That's fine. But I um, think you are cheating if you're going to say that those boobs count towards the surpriseometer. In yeah. terms of, of this effect on the audience, which I think that's you just need the, to the recognize that got to make here. You're part of a niche audience there, and I think you need to acknowledge and recognize that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, like I say, most of us would classify the zombie boobs under grow. Right. But, you know, we, we, we don't write for Bloody Disgusting. <laughs> We're not horror experts. No. That might be the issue. Um, I don't want to rag on a review. It's just. No. Could, when you actually watch House of the Dead 2... So, sorry, I say when. If you actually watch House of the Dead 2... Yes, that's this is a very funny. Yeah, that's a very funny sentence to anyone who's seen it. It is, it is a funny sentence. And I won't judge anyone's cri- critical faculties. Uh, I just think that's a funny sentence for the, uh, it, well, it's, the 96 that's kind of, minutes we just watched. It's kind of in-jokey. You know, for us and for the other people out there who have watched House of the Dead 2, and I get that. And we try to, you know, make this universally accessible to everybody. Yeah, you know. yeah. But it is really funny. It's really it's funny really hearing that. quite clip. funny, though. <laughs> uh, very funny. Should we talk about the film? Yeah, I, I guess I guess we should. We don't need I've... to talk about the series anymore, because we, we talked about House of the Dead in the first House of the Dead episode. It's still the same game. It is still the same game. This, um, I mean, I think we could talk a little bit about how this does the vibe of Resident Evil, I mean, not Resident Evil, of House of the Dead better. Yeah, in that it attempts it sometimes. 
Yeah, well, it, yeah, it actually attempts to sort of evoke that kind of weirdness and, and not like, not like jump in your face, but it doesn't, it doesn't ever feel really particularly like anyone's in all that much danger. No, no, no. There is a real <laughs> issue with, uh, um, there's a TV trope called, uh, on, on the TV tropes website, of course, called uh, Con- Conservation of Kung Fu. To describe those those martial arts fight scenes where people right. are fighting, but the the surrounding bad guys aren't piling in. Here, the the zombies do pile in, but they forget the important thing that zombies do, which is bite. Yeah. Except when they need to for a character to die, in which case, like that, on it like a shot. Yeah, but, it, it has to be, but it has yeah. to serve the plot for them to want to bite. Yeah, yeah, the plot mainly involving um, keeping as many white members of the cast alive for as long as possible. They are not, they are not uh, hungry for flesh, they're hungry for plot development. They are, they are indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they're, they're, they're not very good zombies either. They're not but it does, threatening. it feels pulpy, it feels... Uh... I'll give them that. It's, it, in, in terms of just ba- like bargain basement schluck, yeah, it does. It does enough for a group of people who have drunk <laughs> alcohol specifically. Uh, I I think that it has. It's got enough moxie to have bad movie. It's camp. Potential. Camp is the word I'm looking for. It is camp enough in places. To, in pl- to let, reflect let's be that careful. House of the Dead tone. Let, Let's be careful when we use the word enough, because okay. we don't want to do a bloody disgusting. <laughs> um, it, it has its moments of campiness, but I found myself got to agreeing with Beyond Hollywood, who said if you were looking for a movie to show you how generic and formulaic horror movies in America have become lately, you needn't look any further than House of the Dead 2. It's indeed an improvement over Ball's original, but it would have worked better had it stuck to the camp and not taken the whole zombie thing too seriously. It, and there I, is, I find myself yeah. agreeing with that. There are Far too many, especially as the movie goes on, it gets quieter and quieter, and scenes get longer and longer, and it starts shoehorning. They get a little more. It gets a little more hand ringy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole final furlong, they could have done without. Yes. Um, like they could have. Um, they could have jettisoned a lot, which we've complained about many times in in several of these films. But I think if you do, if you could shave these ninety six minutes down to a solid thirty. <laughs> You've got a damn good entertaining yeah. half an hour. I don't know yeah. if it's worth sitting through the whole thing to get to the good bits, or it's not something you could just achieve via a supercut that won't get challenged on YouTube because I don't see too many people taking credit for this one. It seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, should I we get Ryan's into it? Gate, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We open with a commander preparing a group of fresh-faced recruits for a mission. Yeah, and but, can I just immediately cut it? Yeah, no, um, no, because I'm I I want to I really want to talk about this for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. Let me immediately cut in because um say that again what you just said. We open with a commander preparing a group of fresh-faced recruits for a mission. That is no, what they are setting yeah. up for us. No, we don't. No, right? no, we do because, not. Because, and let me say this, because I don't want people who haven't seen it to get the wrong idea from the opening sentence. <laughs> because 
while what you said is what we're supposed to be thinking in this moment. Right, yes. It's not what I'm thinking when I'm watching it because the the filtering, the performing, the way the camera's angled, everything about it screams comedy setup. Everything about it immediately. The costume design. Yeah, the the costume costume design. If you look at it, there is not a single cam consistent, like, no two people have the same camouflage pattern in their clothes. There is no uniformity. Like, I almost want to, I almost want to give them too much credit and say they'll fall for this because they know it's a cheap looking film. So the fact that the costumes are, like, not uniform (laughs) won't. No, it, it will still... No, listen to me, Barbara. It will still surprise them. No, no, it will. They won't know that this is like like we're frat kids or anything. No, they won't know we're too young. They'll think these are just like unpaid actors. Yeah, I know they are, Barbara, but they'll... No, this will still surprise them. Do you know how much blood grew and boobs I've put in this movie? <laughs> Even the most jaded and cynical hater of zombie films is going to love this shit, <coughs> Barbara. But yeah, I just I, I want to immediately, because it is so jarringly immediate and it is, so apparent yeah. that this is not an actual military commander thing. Uh, but do now continue. Yes. No, haha. it turns out that their fraternity pledges about to go on a panty raid. Uh, this <gasps> time-honored tradition. And after a close call with someone leaving the sorority house, uh, the pizza guy from their crew is sent to the door of the sorority house where he whips out his dick and then the other pledges rush in, spraying girls with beer from water guns. Yes, and at this point, um, because I was going to really lay into how this was shot and everything, because it looked nightmarish to begin with. Like, it really did look like, holy shit, this is legitimate sexual assault. Yeah. But they very quickly made sure to let you know the girls were liking it, because they are, like, standing there getting themselves sprayed with alcohol coming from super soakers. And Jumping up and nipples- down. Nipples are coming through, they're bouncing, their breasts are exposed for our pleasure, and she's like, is that light or lager or something? And he's like, it's light, and she's like, well, fill me up. And he's like, huh, huh, huh. and they love it. It's okay. It's, it is, now that, that, that was a sort of subtle innuendo that they, that they slid in there. Fill me up, you see? That was, so that's demonstrating her, her excitement and enjoyment at this sexy fun time everyone's having that's it's consent is what you're seeing there so that that makes this all totally okay it's totally okay um one of the the pledges busts into a room where two people are having sex and takes photos in what seems to be the kind of playful prank we've all come to expect expect from a certain class of privileged white bros um, yes, yes, and she she wasn't fine with it. No, but, she is but, not fine with it. No, and, and the and, and we're supposed to. I don't know how we're supposed to feel about the guy. Uh, yeah, saying, I wasn't sure because I was at this point. I was expecting this movie to be about some of these characters since they were in yeah. this film, and everything was being set up at a frat house. Um, or well, I mean, at a college specifically. Yeah. Um, and instead, that 
we don't get any further thing. All we get from these people is that uh, they're having a great time. Right, and, but and the, the movie this, doesn't judge. The but movie it doesn't strongly, judge. It very strongly uh, suggests that this was part of the plan. That oh, yeah, this, yeah. It's, that this no guy, that like, it guy... Was, the intent was always for this guy to come in and take photographs of this woman and this man having sex on behalf of the man having sex with her. Yes, the man having sex wanted himself ambushed and photographed having sex with this Without girl. her knowledge. Yes, uh, without her consent. And, and yeah, the movie... I, I wouldn't even say it implies that. That's straight up what happens. Yes. That, yeah. that is the plot. And the movie just lets that hang. It just sort of, well, <laughs> tries to laugh it off when he's looking at the photos. Like, it tries to make a joke out of this assault. Yeah, because he's all let me look at my work and all this shit. Yeah, and it's it's um, very much it's but it's very much a boys will be boys kind of. It is, I think. Thing. Yeah, very yeah. much a light-hearted, just oh, oh, oh comic sexual mischief. Um, don't but, do it. Uh, yeah, no, don't do it. And don't do it. And it's don't, particularly don't... like kind of awkward and sleazy here for some reason. I don't know well, why. Be- I think because of the movie itself just gives it that tone. It gives everything that tone of extra sleazy uh, just by nature of it being one of those shitty budget sub-sci-fi looking things. Yeah, but like when Troma did it, you know, and I'm sure Troma's done it many times. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen Troma do it a few it's times. It's been many years since I watched The Class of Manukum High. I couldn't confirm all Not class, but No, stage. but there's there's like like one of their earliest films is, you know, has a sorority girl thing going on and like it, it, but I still expect it from them, but I can accept it from them also in some weird way. And I don't know if it's just cuz that's just who they are and that's not going to change. Maybe they just they managed to grandfather in their uh, yeah I don't know comic I don't sexual know what it is. mischief and maybe they don't um, do it as much anymore I I don't, I don't know. know I don't I've not really seen any of Troma's recent stuff I've seen Toxic Avenger and Toxic Avenger four <laughs> I I followed the advice of the world and skipped two and three um, now that one does have what I guess I'll start dubbing comic sexual mischief in it in one scene with Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, <laughs> who otherwise is the absolute highlight of the movie. Um, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD is a, another trauma movie, mm-hmm. um, but he shows up as in this movie as the character Sergeant Kabuki Man as just an out and out um, drunk who has pre- seemingly lost everything. Uh, but he's still fully dressed up in kabuki gear and spends most of the movie slurring and um, uh, lecturing on women. And and it's a very interesting film. And it, it frequently cuts to Lemmy. And uh, what's-his-face is the mayor, Ron... Uh, the, the porn man. Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. There we are. I forgot his name. Shame on me. Um, always amusing, I find, when he does... Uh, like comedy movers, always found him quite. Oh, he, uh, he's he's one of those guys. There's a really great documentary about him that follows him around for a while, um, mm-hmm. and it is boy, that's a guy who would just love. He'll he'll, he'll do anything. He'll do any work. Yeah, but he I've, would just. I've truly gathered. Have seen his movie work? To be in movies. Yeah, 
bless him. He yeah, is, no. I think he is talented as he's well. Charming, as an actual in actor. a strange like, way, he's, yeah. He's fun to watch on screen in when he actually gets to do movies. Um, so this, I can't uh, speak of his pornography. Uh, pornography. I was trying to say pornography and pornographic at the same time, and then just went pornography like a pervert. Like, oh, pornography. Uh, can't speak to that. I've actually, um, and this isn't me just trying to deny anything, because I would find no shame in it if I had, but genuinely never seen a Ron Jeremy film. I have like, seen... Like, sex film. I've seen him in movies, but I've never watched his uh, adult work. I've seen a few of his like earlier things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that he's that he's been in, but I couldn't I couldn't put a name to them. Right, frankly. Right. right. Um, okay. Um, I'm honestly I just find talking about Ron Jeremy a lot more interesting than the movie we have to inevitably get back to. The Hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, assaulted woman angrily leaves the sorority house, and as she's in the street, she gets struck by a car. Yeah, the, like, the, really, the, the evening not getting much better. No. No, I mean, I don't know which you'd prefer to have happen on an evening, but both is really both, insulting both are, injury. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bo- both just taking the fucking piss. Uh, now, the driver, who we learn from uh, her dialogue, is a professor, and he's also Sid Haig. Sid Haig, everyone. Let's... Sid Haig. Yeah, we do. We do. I, I like Sid Haig. It's nice. It's always nice to see him. He's terrible in this. He uh, is awful. He's not. He's not good most of the time. I just like yeah, him. Yeah, he's he's really bad in this though. Yeah. Uh, he asks if she's all right, and when she confirms that she is, he says that's too bad and hits her across the head with a tire iron. Yeah. Now she's three for three on shit things <laughs> happening in basically three minutes. Uh, and then he puts her in the trunk of the car. Um. In a lab, he confirms that she's dead by checking her pulse, then cuts her clothes off and administers an ejection. Now, during this, of course, because her clothes have been cut off, her breasts are exposed for our pleasure. Yes, yes. Uh, We should point out that the removal of clothing in no way aided the actual uh, process, the medical Uh, procedure. No, there was was no, uh, there's no way in which the clothing actually hindered. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying it was Sid Haig's idea. I'm not saying he was on set that day and said, no, 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 it's more realistic, it's more realistic. I'm not saying that. Well, and I gotta I gotta be honest. Like, I mean, not... Couldn't they have found an actress to play this college student who, by the way, as she's leaving... Like, this is just to depict how bad her night's actually going. <laughs> as she's leaving the sorority house... With this, you know, after this assault, uh-huh. she tells the guy that she'd been saving herself for him, that she'd saved herself for him. Oh, so God, she, yeah, even I worse. guess this is the night she lost her virginity also? Yeah, not sure, remember. I was gonna, <laughs> well, no, no, it's not, actually. But, like, real shit night. Yeah. And I... Run through the ringer, honestly. Okay, but, like, just for character purposes... And, and maybe even for, like, the purposes of the audience, could you not have found an actress to say the line, I was saving myself for you, but then be on a table and not have, like, some of the most incredibly rock-hard fake breasts 
lying on that table. Like, they are stones resting on her chest. I'm trying to see if there's a way to possibly refute the argument you're putting forth, but I don't think there is a way to refute it. Like, it's very hard to believe that she is a college student who was saving herself for him. I, I will say that. Right? That's just strange. It was just strange to me. I don't know why. And I, I like I don't usually spend this much time thinking about the on-screen breasts in this movie. In these movies. No, no. But that struck me as very peculiar. Um, it was odd characterization for her because. Even the look, like the over, like breasts aside, the, the look, look she's they a, give she's her, seen, yeah, she well, looks like head cheerleader type. She looks, she does not look like, she not, she doesn't look like or is characterized as the kind of person who this was her first time or or yeah, her not, first not guy. Not to stereotype, like, like we don't want to like. And, well, no, and she not, was living up to the movie's stereotype, like that movie's genre stereotype unless they thought they were being hilariously subversive and again let me just remind you of what <laughs> bloody disgusting said um it did say that Altman's script skewers everything in its way poking fun at virtually anything it can get its bloody hands on um, i should also point out that underneath all the pop culture banter lay an effective <laughs> film with some palpable tension and enough blood grew and boobs to surprise even the most jaded zombie movie hater <laughs> So really, it's fifty-fifty as to whether they just didn't have the right actress or the right script. Well, I, she was, or I mean, if, or if she they was were just dating something. someone on the crew. Like I don't know, because you also have to remember nobody we're seeing here matters. Yes, yes, <laughs> we we can't emphasize this enough. The entire <laughs> film, the entire film begins with nothing that matters. Not really. Like, I, I, I spent the whole movie, despite a very early but easily missed teaser that I only remembered much later, I spent the whole movie thinking that this woman right here, who had been saving herself, was going to be patient zero, was going to be some super powerful zombie because of the way this intro is subsequently done and the hype she's given. I was expecting her to... I don't know, like maybe retain some intelligence and be an actual villain that way. Although or... that is a thing that the zombies in this sort of do. It's hinted that at that, yeah. There, there's well, no, I mean, outright implied that they. I think they said they stated Land, at some point, yeah. Well, similar to Land of the Dead, so they go through the daily motions. They have a a notion of who they were, but nothing more than that. Yeah. They're still largely, you know, instinctive. But I thought she'd be a bit above that, you know. St- you know, very much like the guy at the end of fucking the, the, the first dead. movie. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. You know, now now she'll get to live forever. The, uh, uh, <laughs> the Castellan? The Castellan! Hey! Uh, the Castellan, yeah. Like, I thought she'd be an intelligent zombie, like a genuinely smart, commanding antagonist zombie yeah but she doesn't matter nope nope we've spent 15 minutes talking about a character does not matter at all unimportant yeah. Yeah. unimportant so don't worry though everything else is so poorly fleshed out we'll get through that a lot quicker than this intro that's true uh so <laughs> when 
when she doesn't appear to have regained life on the table, uh, the professor angrily just starts throwing shit around his office. Being I mean, pissed. it's it and it's you know he's supposed to be angry, <laughs> but it looks like they shot the rehearsal. It's like, all right, so I'm going to go over here. I'm going to knock the papers off the desk like this. I'm going to trundle down the hallway to this other secure door with a window, and I'm going to look through it. Okay. So, all right, so uh, we'll do quick cleanup, and then we got... Oh, I oh, think we the were, main oh, issue... Oh, we were shooting. <laughs> I think the main issue is that the rehearsal and the final shoot were the same thing. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've already shot it. Well, that, uh, fine. We'll just have, we'll just do it. We'll we'll get we'll keep moving. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Um, and and then he 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 observes another zombie in this room and says to it, "This is this is the the line of dialogue that that just boy really popped out to me. Even now, you hold the secrets of eternal life within you. You hold on to them." Keeping me alone, alone in the dark. <laughs> and you can tell he wants to look at the camera. Because he, he should be looking at the camera when he says that. You, well, it, it's, but it's, it's shot, you know, so that you can see that she's not, like, directly at the window. She's over by the wall, and so he's looking askance through the window towards... Like, that's the frame. The framing of the shot is right. But but it's the sort of thing that, like, feel that... that's It's so poorly written, it feels like it's something that should be delivered bald-faced straight looking into the camera. Yeah, <laughs> like, it shouldn't yeah. have the subtle nuance of proper shot framing. It doesn't deserve it. Like, this movie is the... It's the celluloid equivalent of a wink to the camera. <laughs> like, so often the movie itself wants to just look directly at you, the audience, and, and quite literally say the word, wink. So as the professor starts to pick up the mess that he's made, he sees that the corpse has disappeared from the table. And the sorority girl, now a zombie, appears behind the professor to give us one more good good look at the breasts before uh, she attacks him. And we get opening credits. Yeah. And uh, the opening credits last a fucking long time. Yes, they do. They've got some sick electronic beats and yeah. samples, which I, I'm assuming were taken from some House of the Dead game or other. Uh, maybe. All I know is, at three junctures during this credit sequence, I thought the credit sequence was over. Yeah. I thought it had started the movie, and then, no, it was just another cut to the zombie invasion, but yeah, there's, a there's... bit longer than that, because there well, are these... Yeah, they're, they're, of, they're of different lengths, right? So you have these, yeah. these uh, titles... With uh, and they're they're white titles or or maybe orange title or yeah I think that the, the titles are white but the, they've got color behind them that's green or maybe sometimes orange I can't remember not important but they like move across the screens because somebody you know got Adobe Premiere and and then you get these cuts to like very a lot of really brief flashes that very you've seen cuts. this done all the time with little strobe lighty and people well like, yeah the, and and the zombie thing I've got to point out with this movie is it is 
completely derivative. Yeah, yeah. Like, completely derivative. And this opening sequence is basically the opening sequence from uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Right. It's Yes, um, it's, it's that thing. But then you have these slightly longer sequences. And you could be fooled into thinking that the I movie was. was now starting again. I was, and it's like they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, fuck you, film, fuck you. <laughs> and it does this like two, three, four times. Fool me thrice, come on, start the film, start it. And I can't, I can't remember. I, w- I, I wish I'd gone to look back on this. Does the electronic music stop at any point during these? Or does it, it present it, itself it, yeah, as, I, as I, actual I, scenes? I'm trying to remember, like, because I was so so sure that the movie had started uh, on at least two occasions, one in the library and one on the football field where they're doing the game. I could swear the music stops for it. Yeah. Because I was so ready for the film to start, but then suddenly... (laughs) And then more credits telling us that one of the characters is played by a performer called Sticky Fingers. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's right. Sticky Fingers is in this. Who is Sticky Fingers? I, I, uh, hold on, I've still got the page open. Uh, sticky oh, fingers. he's Sergeant Dalton. Sergeant Dalton. Which one's Sergeant Dalton? Um, I don't know. I mean, but I, I know he's done many things. I've never really heard of him myself, but he was in The Shield and Blade the series, and he's been on NCIS Law and Order and CSI Miami. As we both gonna... read the Wikipedia page for him and. Yeah, so that the audience can learn about Sticky... Oh, he was a sergeant major. He was the guy in charge. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I forgot about him because he's the African-American character that gets killed immediately. Yeah. That's right. My bad. Well, not immediately, just uh, in a very drawn-out and violent way. Uh, so... That, that he can't act well enough. Like, I don't know if Sticky Fingers has improved. He's but pretty Sticky awful F- at this point in his career. Well, Sticky Fingers in House of the Dead 2 is not very good. Yeah. I really don't buy him as the opponent he is clearly trying to be. No. That he has been told to be in this Aliens Marines setup that he's part of. The fucking stupid film. I hate this film. 29 days later. Hellwick! <laughs> uh... Oh wow, that that is an example of of Altman's script. Yeah, like just skewering it, skewering, skewering it, surprising us. Um, I tell you what, though, this did surprise me because I was like, it's twenty nine days after a zombie outbreak, and it's not spread beyond the confines <laughs> of a small college. Oh well, yeah, that's that's one thing. The, the time in this world is fascinating to me. Yes, it does exist in in a very different uh, uh, form than it does in our human reality. <laughs> like things, things, some things take far longer to happen than you would think. Like example, a zombie outbreak spreading. It's you know, in twenty eight days later, the zombie infection had managed to completely overtake to overtake London. Um, and, and, and maybe more, I don't know. Is it, was it worldwide 28 days later? Uh, 28 days was just England. Okay. But still, but, but England, right? England's fucked, right? 
This I say England, Britain, presumably the whole island. The island gets quarantined. Twenty nine days later, and it has not spread outside of this university. Yes. To the point where I was wondering exactly how far away they were from the situation in this next scene because life is so fucking normal or zombies are just so ubiquitous that it's like, eh. Hold on. We've lost we've lost another college. Oh, hold on. Mm. Now maybe. Maybe this is an example of how Altman's script is skewering everything in its wake, right? Maybe. Right. It is effectively skewering the idea of time in zombie movies, right? Right, and I say right. This, I say this because normally in zombie movies, you have an example of the zombie outbreak that happens too fast for anybody to properly react to it, right? Well, And okay. the government reacts yeah. too slowly to the threat and is overwhelmed by it right i i was about to i was about to dispute you but then i remembered the altman script skewers everything in its wake poking fun at virtually anything <laughs> bloody hands on but underneath all the pop culture panelized an effective film with some powerful potential and then off blow grew and boob surprise even the most jaded zombie movie hater so you're probably right so we open on a restaurant 29 days later <laughs> Where Jake Lancaster, neurologist, oh. is oh, chatting up a young woman he met online. And in, yeah. the, in, in, in the kitchen, the chef steps outside for a salad break. The quote-unquote French chef. <laughs> I would go outside for a cigarette. I am French. I'm doing a way better French accent than this guy, by the way, because I'm putting at least some effort into my awfulness. It was... It's very, very bad. Uh, and Nobody so he, like French people. And I like, I like that he's just got this sort of plate of greens with a couple of tomatoes <laughs> on it. Yeah, just the salad he whipped up for his break. <laughs> Takes it outside, and then he offers it to what he thinks is a homeless person... Turns out to be Zombie Sid Haig. Hey! Which, I mean, six or one half dozen of another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a truck labeled AMS pulls up somewhere. I don't know where this is, but a well-dressed agent steps out, moves yep. through. A Who I call ASMR. <laughs> he moves through a mostly empty warehouse and then yep. is immediately chastised. By a commanding officer for a mission that went somehow wrong. Yes. And she turns out to be Jordan Casper. Oh, fuck. The police officer, presumed to be killed in the first movie, now shown to be in a wheelchair and missing her legs. Twist of the fucking century. I was pr like, they did show her being killed at the first movie, right? I remember very little from the first movie. Uh, and that's I, that's I was, just a defense mechanism. That's I understand. Yeah. And this will all come out in therapy later. But Yeah, yeah, I'm sure at some point when I'm ready to face and accept what we have done as as a as a creative unit together on this this yeah. horrible mistake of a show. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I'll probably be able to tell you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll remember to send you a text. <laughs> Do that. Uh, when the therapist finally drags out of the dead out of me. <laughs> when oh, you have oh, that Oh, yeah, yeah, Casper died. <laughs> yeah, they get a text that just says Casper died. It, you'll know it because it'll be the last text I probably ever send anyone. And it will be used in some sort of inquest. Um, but but here's she is now a uh, a, a a lieutenant commander, something like that. Something like that. She's wearing an army uniform for this non-military group that we are. We're, we're let well, known but, specifically they're not a military outfit. Well, AMS isn't a military outfit, but she seems to have jurisdiction not only over them but also over military people. Oh, the chain of command on in, in oh god is, yes just yeah yeah we, yeah we'll get to the chain of command we'll talk about the chain of command in a minute because that is I'm just conf- I'll say this right <laughs> don't have two characters challenging each other for command when the movie itself doesn't know who's in charge Casper shows uh this other this male agent his name is ellis his name is jake ellis okay so now we have two potential lead male characters named jake (laughs) if you were looking for a movie to show you how generic and formulaic horror movies in america have become lately jake actually i mean i'm gonna look any further than a film that names two characters jake I'm going to go you even better than that, right? Two Jakes. The two Jakes. This hold is on, the two on, Jakes of horror movies. Hold on. I think you might be wrong. This is the secret third film of the Chinatown trilogy. I think you're confusing. <laughs> I think you're confusing one generic actor for two generic actors. The cast lists only one Jake. Lieutenant Jake Ellis, Ed Quinn. I will. Who I I knew stepped out of the AMS truck because he's the guy I call ASMR. I I I am gonna have to go back. I will go back and double check, but I am one hundred. Don't do that. It's not worth it. I'm one hundred percent. You know what? I will just say you're right, just so (laughs) you don't go back and check this. Like I don't want you to watch this. And I I appreciate that. I really do. It means a lot. It, it does. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that, as far as I can tell, for me, the people in charge are Jake Ellis, played by Ed Quinn, who's just a poor man's everything, and Sticky Fingers' is Sergeant Dalton, that memorable right. character. But they've they, they've also created this guy, this neurologist character that's on this date, right? Well, and, they have the neurologist, yes. Right, and and when you, you know, like, they, they lead with him, so they're setting you up to think that he's your protagonist, right? And yes. and this in, girl... in a really skewering way, by the way. Right, yeah, yeah. And then the woman is unclear because, you know, obviously in these films, the the lead the, the male lead is going to be attractive to attractive women. So she could be unrelated to the to the story. And so you could dismiss her, right? And that's so he introduces himself and I think he says his name is Jake Lancaster. And we don't find out Ellis's name is Jake until, like, much later. <laughs> much, much later. And I, I, I... Anyway, I'm sorry. I know it's... I'm, 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 I'm just baffled by this entire situation. 
Um, and, but and it would also make sense for a neurologist to be the lead character. It's like they're literally setting this up for the fake out, right? Because yeah. um, so Casper shows Jake Ellis an aerial photo of a new outbreak site. It's this university, and he orders him to call in Nightingale. And on his way out, she expresses her condolences for the loss of, of his brother. So that's going to be an important plot point later. Uh, back in the restaurant, the neurologist gets a page. No, no hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got to back up. Oh? No plot point in this film is allowed to be called important. <laughs> Even if it's quote-unquote important to this plot. I'm sorry. I, I should have made more of an effort to indicate air quotes around it. I would at least say... Just call it plot critical. Like even that, <laughs> it's is not a even. It's, yeah, it's not plot critical at all. Like, but it at least doesn't to, make me want to throw up. It's supposed to set up some pathos for Ellis to have, but eh. like it comes when, up several times. He brings it up yeah. over and over again. But but when you've got less range than Ryan Gosling, it really doesn't pay to have any character moments for you. Ed Quinn is really crap in this. He's really bad in this. It's kind of, even though Uwe didn't direct this one, he did the original. It's like his legacy lives on. Yeah. It's like, even if there is anyone talented in this, you wouldn't know it. No, no, And And as we said, Sid Haig is notably worse in this. Yeah. As as difficult as that can be to imagine if you're familiar with Sid Haig's repertoire. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So where were we? Oh, right. So back in the restaurant, the neurologist gets his page, excuses himself from the table to make a call on his flip phone. And I wanted to make a thing out of, like, why didn't he just get the call on his flip phone instead of getting a page? But he's playing a neurologist, so this all makes sense. Doctors have pagers. I think. (laughs) I think doctors still have pagers. Yeah, they do, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it it still did strike me as weird, even for the mid-2000s, that they wouldn't have just said, I'm getting a cold. Yeah. Uh, but he, he explains to the person on the other end that he's not a neurologist and merely deceiving this woman for the purposes of sexual intercourse. Yes. But eagle-eyed viewers will note that as he's getting up, she's putting in some strange earpiece. Yes. That, that, they don't linger on that shot long enough the first time you see it. And then they linger on it a little too long the next time they show you. Yeah. It's like, because here's the thing. Here's one major thing about this movie, right? Is that even though Altman's script skewers everything in its wake, poking fun at virtually anything you can get its bloody hands on. I mean, I, will, I guess I better also mention that underneath all the pop culture banter lies an effective film with some palpable tension doing enough blood, grew and boobs to surprise even the most jaded zombie hater. But um, even though it's that, a lot of the attempts to skewer or surprise or shock the audience are ruined by really bad lingering shots. Or, for example, a zombie about to do a jump scare, having most of his head visible in the shot from the thing he's hiding behind. Um, there's a lot of that in this film. A lot of shots that you know are supposed to be happening a few seconds from now. <laughs> that we can already see. Uh, so meanwhile, the woman is listening to this earpiece that she's pulled from her purse when the waiter returns and she sees blood on his cuff. Asking about it, the waiter tells her that the chef was bitten by a homeless person. So she springs into action. Oh shit, that means she knows about zombies. Heads into the kitchen to find the chef twitching on the ground. 
The waiter goes to help, but gets attacked, and the woman shoots the chef. All right, I want to. I do want to establish. Um, by the way, Sid Haig was here, so yes. she is in the same. She is in the vicinity. She is within a radius of travel, equivalent to the distance a zombie Sid Haig could travel from the epicenter of this zombie outbreak in 29 days. That is how close she is to this event. Yeah, but, I mean, how long does it take a (laughs) zombie... Like, how long does it take a zombie to get anywhere? That's the thing. Well, you know it's going to stop along the way, right? It's not, like, even if you just... And these aren't fast zombies. These are slow, stumbly zombies. It's going to take its sweet time to get there, and it's going to have snacks. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you're on foot, I mean, I just don't know the conversion rate of of normal human footsteps to zombie footsteps. I I don't know the conversion rate, so I don't... You can't really tell how how far away it is, but you say zombie on foot, probably pretty close. And why is he the only zombie who left the epicenter of, of what was going on? Unless why this did is he actually, wander off? Unless this is happening, in, unless she happens to be in the same or the nearest urban area or even a suburban area surrounding this university. Yeah. Well, so like she, we already said, the, the, the movie will establish, but we did already mention earlier, will establish that these zombies retain some form of memory to go through various rote so maybe they just hung out so but i'm left confused about professor curian (laughs) who at this point it's sid haig is professor fucking curian right (laughs) i've i'm just curious as to where he's going um because he should have been staying at the lab that seemed to be where his obsession was he should never have left the lab if zombies retain their like Right, day-to-day routine things, unless he was, you know, leaving the lab local, all the time. Leaving the lab all the time. Maybe there was a local spot that he'd go um, to consult sex workers or something, or or anything, or act as one himself. You don't fucking know, but it had to have been close if we're following the movie's logic that the zombies retain things. Maybe he was heading specifically to that restaurant because he liked it. That could be. Couldn't have been far. And yet it took 20... I guess in universe, it does take that long for anyone to know there's a zombie outbreak because the zombies stay so localised. But... But they do move on. <laughs> yeah. So the, the... And they are a problem. They do have to be contained and quarantined because... They don't just leave them as empty towns because, oh, no, the zombies just stay there. It's fine. Well, they and, do and, leave. And eventually, there's going to be some truck driver, right, who drives yeah. into town and gets infected and then goes through his day-to-day and takes the rig out. It's going to happen. And then there's the whole ending of the movie, oh. which implies that, that the pattern has changed entirely. <laughs> I... I think we're thinking about this way more than the scriptwriter did. We, way we, more than Altman, Altman the skewer did. So the uh, the the waiter gets bit. The woman shoots the chef. The waiter is taken into an uh, an ambulance, and the woman who we learn is AMS agent Nightingale. Oh, 
Nightingale. Blows off her date and blows through his clever deception to expose him as a lowly retail assistant manager for Blockbuster. And more importantly, for our pleasure. Fun fact, there are currently, I believe, 52 Blockbuster video locations operating in the United States. Well, that's more than I actually thought. Well, they're all franchisees. Yeah. That you know, yeah. were allowed to sort of hang on and continue to operate their stores. Wow. Yeah. Isn't so, that fun? Isn't that fun? Uh, so, uh, real timely is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Always is. And that, that joke really holds up. The Blockbuster. In 20 years, people are still going to be like, oh, yeah, Blockbuster. I know exactly what Blockbuster is. So, anyway, she's pretty cold-blooded. Uh, Nightingale and, and Ellis ride in the ambulance with the bitten waiter, making chit-chat about how they've never gone on a date together. But the mood is ruined when Ellis informs her of his brother's death. Like, he he sort of, like, cock-blocks himself. Like, she seems kind of into it. And then he's like, oh, by the way, my brother's dead. Dude. Like, I thought you were trying to get over that. Isn't that the way? Like, come on, man. Get it together. Uh, the waiter finishes turning into a zombie, and Alice, Alice casually shoots him in the head. Yeah, again, meant to be a comedy moment, but all I'm thinking is, that's a lot of blood all over their faces. <laughs> and they're totally... And that's... They just, they don't care. They don't care, <laughs> and, and that's a... That's a theme that continues to very, very, very ridiculous proportions later. Yeah, there's a lot of blood splatter that nobody cares about, and they really probably should, you'd think? Yeah, yeah, and there's a very specific uh, bit of blood splatter that I'm going to say for the moment, but it was the point where me and Alex and Justin, who was here at the time, we were all just... Uh, actually, no, Justin arrived a little bit after that, uh, but certainly me and Alex were just screaming at the screen. <laughs> Um, so there, uh, he, Ellis explains that they're on their way to an operation, allowing Nightingale the opportunity to casually drop the word hyper sapiens into the conversation. It's really smooth writing. And they keep it smooth like that. They, they, they just keep it like that. Yeah. They just establish casually. That's what it is. And don't explain it or (laughs) apologize for what they've done. As AMS soldiers practice their shooting back in the empty-ish warehouse, one with a target featuring Paris Hilton's head. A wink! Man. shit. The sound file showed up. I've never seen such a big block of red on my (laughs) audio wave file before. (laughs) You were into that. That was brutal. That, That was... That was if would be as if I tried to do fucking Duke Amiel's voice here. I mean, that would be... This was... I mean, that was on the level uh, of, of like, the way Altman's script skewers everything in its wake, poking fun at virtually everything it can get its bloody hands on, but underneath the pop culture banter lies an effective film with some palpable tension and enough blood grew in boobs to surprise even the most jaded zombie movie hater. Let's hear it for Robert the Skewer Altman, everyone. Yeah. Robert the Skewer Altman. Okay, what's right? You know what? We've been going at this for a fucking hour. The movie plot is summarized in four paragraphs on Wikipedia. Let's get cracking. You're right. You're right. Fair dues. This is a bad movie, though. There's a lot. It's not a good movie. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, 
So yeah, they're back in this warehouse. Casper reveals that there's been an outbreak at a college campus, and they've already lost a recon team there. Uh, so hey, let's send more people. Uh, Ellis and Nightingale are being sent in with special forces to rescue survivors and retrieve a blood Special sample. forces! Yes. Yes, special forces. Special forces. Forces. Special forces. Uh, they're going to rescue survivors, one. and they're going to retrieve a blood sample from any hypersapiens there to confirm if this site is ground zero for the infection. Wait, what? Yeah. They need wait, a wait, generation what? zero zombie, but they don't really explain. They just talk bollocks. Right, but, but what? okay, hang on. Like, you were there at an earlier outbreak. Yeah, I know what I know what you're what you mean here is that we're already in a world where the way these people are talking, zombies are a constant problem. Like zombies are a constant problem. But this this is it should be also noted and I'm not sure it doesn't get said until much 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 later in the film, but I really I have I can't dance around it any any longer. This is like 3 months later than House of the Dead 1. Mm-hmm. Three months have passed since then. And in that time, in that time, Casper has gone from cop in over her head <laughs> at zombie you know outbreak. What? Her being in over her head probably explains a lot, given how the medical research team that are experts on zombies become increasingly less knowledgeable about zombies as it goes on. Especially when it gets to the bit where they're talking about the outbreak and they keep asking things like, what happened here? And then what happened? When the answer seems quite evidently all around them to be, and then the zombies broke out. (laughs) They keep forgetting they're in a zombie outbreak. They're like, what happened here? (laughs) Fucking zombies! (laughs) So So yeah, Casper is well in over her fucking head. Cruise missiles are being sent in to destroy the site at 7 a.m., so there's a limited timetable at play here. But don't worry, because time has no meaning in this film. (laughs) They could have said seven days, they could have said seven seconds, for the difference it actually makes. Does not matter. Ellis doesn't think they need special forces to go with them, but special forces guys are like, dude, I'm doing you a favor. And Casper says that she got the order... And this is where we're going to talk about the chain of command here a little bit. Yeah. She got it from the president. Now, I'm, I'm going in reverse of the order that she tells us the chain of command that she got things in. So the, okay. you're getting top to bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or bottom to top. She got it from the secretary of defense, who got it from the chief of staff, who got it from the president, who got it from the vice president. So the I mean I mean I I could ba- believe that if this was set in 2017. Actually, oh my god. Oh my god, I just realized something. At this time, this mm-hmm. is 2005, I think, that the movie comes right. out. We are right. right in the middle of the George W. Bush administration. Ah, uh, they were Robert the Skewer Altman. <laughs> Vice you President have surprised us. Yes, Vice President Dick Cheney, of course, would be. That was the old joke at the time. I forgot. I forgot when that was the extent of what a political joke was. Man, when it wasn't just everything. Skewered, 
absolutely Fuck. skewered. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't it just make you miss the Republican Party? That is, it is a, but it's such a poorly executed show. Terrible done. Terribly done. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's, here's how you can tell whether something is an accident or a deliberate subversion in this film. Because anything that's a deliberate subversion is done very, very badly. Whereas the mistakes could, if you squinted, be confused for something done well. Yeah. Yeah. And I I remember liking Ellie Cornell, Jordan Casper, in the first movie. Like, her character sucked, but she tried. She was not, you know... She 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 did all right, as I recall. Like that's how that's my feeling. That's my my memory about. How is she so bad in this? Like I mean, maybe maybe it's some like people's they, performances are tied entirely to their paycheck or lack thereof. It well, it's like they told her. To, all right, so you're a a you know you're gonna do this no nonsense. You're now a military commander, and and you're going to deliver this with you know a direct and serious. But yeah, it, don't it, have a cow, man. But it's it's read with so little emotion, and and it runs to she runs the lines together so quickly that like you don't have time to really absorb anything she's saying at all. And yeah. and, and there's, I had that, I there's had no that authority in her voice as a result. Yeah, I had that issue with most of the film. Sticky fingers as well when he was trying to be authoritative, just just babbling. Yeah, just blurting lines out. The only one who speaks with any degree of slowness is is uh, J- is Captain ASMR, the fucking <laughs> AMS dude, uh, Ellis. who Ellis, yeah. who is too slow, yeah, too he, quiet, just too muttering ponderous. the whole time, yeah, looking like this, like like a, a Chinese import knockoff, like pirated version of Bradley Cooper. So anyway, like you can actually see scan lines on him. <laughs> so Casper lays out this whole chain of command thing, and basically it boils down to the, the special forces people are actually the ones in charge of this mission. Um, Ellis and Night- Nightingale get cleaned up and have some expositional dialogue that establishes him as former Secret Service and a pretty exceptional asshole, and her as coming from Health and Human Services. Uh, they sort of, she is, she thinks the special forces people are, are, could be helpful and they should work with them. And Ellis is all like, rah, I'm a dick. Uh, we also meet the special forces team, which includes yep. the maternal Lieutenant Henson, um, Bart, who is another like truly exceptional asshole. Uh, and now this, oh, yeah. this is, this is like this, you, you keep bringing up, uh, aliens. This is the aliens, yeah. Marines, locker room scene in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes, there um, are a few changes, a few amalgamation characters. Bart, for example, is Burke in this, but he's closer in characterization to Dennis Nedry. Yep, yep. Like I said, this movie rips off a lot of things. So Bart is is the Burke of the crew, even though he's an actual soldier like them. He's not from a company or anything. Right. But he is, character-wise, more Dennis Nedry. Um, he's... Well, in terms of his role in the plot, yeah. Comeuppance or some sort of villainous turn. Yeah. Um, So we we have Rodriguez, the sassy explosives expert, and uh, O'Connor, the overweight comic relief character. Yeah. Or basically, 
this outfits Hudson, but again, character-wise, because they're really trying to get as much in as possible. Um, well, I mean, if you were just looking, the way Altman rolls. If you were looking for a movie to show you how generic and formulaic horror movies in America become lately. Yeah. Like, they get everything. So there are a lot of characters pulling double duty. So we've got the Hudson guy who does Hudson things, but is also there to be a bit of a Chris Farley. Mm-hmm. He's fat and overexcited, and we laugh at him because of these things. Um, but he also does very big bravo, like bravado, long-winded, macho speeches like Hudson. And they try and give him an equivalent of the game over, game over thing later with they got the Sarge, they got the Sarge. And I'll say this much. I don't think it's going to be quite as memorable as game over. (laughs) You don't think it's going to catch on? No, No, despite Robert Altman's ability to skewer, I don't think he can quite puncture the market there. I don't think you can quite get into uh, pop culture through a tiny little hole that he's made. It's it's Mark Altman. Robert Altman is a very... (laughs) distinguished performer i'm just 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 in case we get letters i'm gonna <laughs> double down like net <laughs> and just power through it and, ass- and and just keep maintaining i did nothing wrong uh so ellis is understandably i looked it up on the wikipedia before i i said look i've got to remember his first name so i can put the skewer between the name <laughs> mark i looked it up and then immediately replaced mark with robert in my head when i spoke <laughs> out loud and i've done that the whole thing so ellis is understandably concerned that these people are going to get everybody killed and he asks nightingale to watch his back well, I'd be concerned as well, because when you finally see them all holding guns, none of them know how to hold guns. <laughs> now, look, I don't know how to hold guns, okay? I know that. But I've seen enough, A, movies, and B, movies that have actually researched, and C, you know, soldiers and shit, to know how guns are held and how soldiers move. Uh, I wouldn't be able to replicate it, but I know what it looks like. This is not and it. It's not it. No. This looks like some college students were given some toy guns and then were told to mess about in front of a camera for like a couple of minutes and then they could have a juice box. Heading to their objective, they find a zombie and retrieve a blood sample, finding that it's a third generation and therefore useless to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's this is one of those sequences that require you to have seen other zombie films. Right. Despite it being able to surprise us, you have to have watched many other zombie films because otherwise they're just talking gibberish. But you've seen enough and then you think, oh, right, third generation zombie. They want a, a fresher blood sample. They want uh, something closer to the source. Right. I mean, that's what it turns out to be is their super sapien fucking thing. And and, um, and they're uh, observe- zero. They make this observation that the zombies seem to be mutating. Their teeth are all like not normal. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting uh, for a plot device that doesn't go anywhere. Well, I mean, it, it does come up again, but it's I mean, it's dumb. Uh, it's used as an as an excuse for uh, for less clothing. Robert. I'm still calling him Robert. They're using as as an excuse for less clothing and also for Robert the skewer Altman to continue skewering things in his Robert way. So uh, another zombie shows up and gets in a hand to hand combat with a soldier, and the dude gets bitten on the hand and. The AMS agents want to shoot him, but the special forces guys decide to cut off his arm, and then the soldier yep, turns they anyway. Take care of their own, right? Yeah, and and they yeah, 
but they didn't take care of him in the way that the people who know what the fuck's going on say he needs to be taken care of. Yeah, this one... Now, this is a bit of a confusion I have with this film. Have these soldiers seen zombies before or not? They seem to talk like they they have. Well, it seems sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Well, there are... Some of the soldiers are new. Like, um, uh, the comic relief guy is new that it's his first mission with them yeah um, see, i get it's his first mission i think but some of them one like, or two of the ones, others i think are new but enough but of the others characters. should have seen him to know you know and seen enough people die to know by this point that that doesn't work well that's it uh, some of the characters like like are inconsistent is basically what i'm trying to say it's not just individuals within the outfit actual people in some scenes seem to know what zombies are and then in other scenes don't. Right. Yeah. It's really inconsistent. Um, so dude gets bitten on the hand. Uh, medic gets bitten by the dude gets bitten by the hand. So Ellis caps them both in the head. And then the team is split up. Always a good idea with a group sent to the dormitories. Um, and in that group, that's, uh, Rodriguez and Bart and, um, uh, Henson, uh, they go to the dorms and Bart starts looting corpses and answers yeah. a cell phone to inform the caller that the phone's owner is dead, dropping a timeless Verizon slogan. Oh, God, yeah. And Rodriguez throws up. It's Rodriguez's first, first time dealing with zombies also. So there you go. Um, group B, which includes our heroes, heads to the library. It's just never established in the film how much of an open secret zombies are. Yeah. Um, Ellis notes that there's a network of tunnels under the university. And Nightingale suggests that the zombies are going through their routines from life. So that's where we get that bit of world building. Now, Shaun of the Dead used that to do some really quite good jokes. Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Land of the Dead, not a great film, but I'll give Ramiro credit for trying to explore some new ideas. This film, of course, clearly ripping off everything it can get its hands on. Uh, not skewering it, ripping it off. <laughs> that's what that, that's what it's actually doing. There's a difference between satirizing something and just doing what someone else did. Yep. Just because you have a shittier camera doesn't make it subversive. No. Um, but in this, it amounts to basically a zombie librarian shushing someone. Yeah. That's what the entire thing seems set up to do. Um, a guy is found reading a book, which leads the soldiers to think he's not a zombie. He's not, though. He's hunched over it, looking dead. Yeah. And again, this brings us back to the very first scene of this film with the quote-unquote military briefing before the panty raid. It is shot and filmed in such a way that there is no... Not even an attempt to hide what's going to happen. No. And again, someone could make the devil's advocate argument that, oh, that's on purpose, that's skewery, that's a joke. But again, it's not incompetent enough Yeah. for it to have been a deliberate subversion. They'd have made it even more obvious and shitty than this. It just looks like the actor in zombie makeup, you can see it. You can see it from where the people are, the people who think it's just a kid reading. You can see it from where they're stood, that it's fucking makeup. 
um, well, you know, that he quote-unquote looks like a zombie. There's nothing subversive or su surprising, and the zombie isn't reading. They keep saying, oh man, zombies can't read, and we're supposed to be all like, oh, the zombies are uh, evolving. But the zombie isn't even reading. It's not holding the book. It's not even looking at the book. Its head is it's slumped like a corpse. And it's, I mean, it's not reading. And and even I mean even if it's supposed even if you as a viewer are supposed to obviously know that it's a zombie, and the soldiers are you know then clearly not to know. It's so you're like dude don't do it dude don't do it. It it doesn't work because he's so it's so obvious. How fucking yeah. stupid and incompetent do these people well, have to be? What for you would what you would do in that case is have them arguing about how zombies can't read while intermittently cutting to the zombie or like the book like get a close up of the book with like a zombified hand like following the words underlining them while hearing just like as if it's trying to read while they're in the background going man zombies can't read and, and then while they're arguing a subversive that's when comedy you have the scene. zombie librarian show up shush and attack so yeah, something like that. And then then we have that attack scene. Then we can have them walk past the zombie reader, forgetting all about the zombie reader, and have it attack them then as a shock for them. Maybe not for us, because we can see it coming, but if they want to be subversive and comedy, it doesn't need to be a jump scare. Nope. We all see it, but they've all forgotten it. Ha ha, attacked by the zombie geek. But no, that's the joke. They forgot... Like the actual comedy setup, they just wanted to have someone call a zombie a geek because it was wearing glasses and near a book. They collect another blood sample. Uh, How's that for skewering, Altman? This time it's second generation, so they're getting closer. Yes. And we have to ponder that for a moment before. Apparently, it's, that's how it works. It's it's now it's explained that AMS is seeking a first generation zombie or patient zero in the hope of developing a vaccine from them and making the zombie epidemic a historical footnote, like bubonic plague or AIDS. <laughs> yes. 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 AIDS is no big deal, guys. We got yeah, that shit yeah, on lock. I did forget about that. Yeah, this movie does seem to suggest that that's a thing of the past. And again, a kind person could say, well, they never confirm what year it is. Yes, they do. They're shooting Paris Hilton and making Verizon ad jokes. We know exactly when this is set. Dorm team finds more student zombies, has more pointless banter, and Bart has his picture taken with a zombie. And while the team is wondering how a particular zombie got infected if they were in a closed room, concerned the disease has gone airborne, Bart is bitten by a mosquito. And uh -oh. I will say this in the movie's favor. I'll say this in the movie's favor. I haven't... Maybe it is in another zombie film, but I've not seen that discussed. I, I, I think, think it has been in other zombie films. I'm trying to remember if maybe... Uh, maybe World War Z... The, but the it, book it's, or it's an underused it, concept, it's, at the yeah, very it's least. It's definitely... It's definitely the one time this movie dabbled in territory that a lot of zombie films don't dabble in. Like, every zombie film dabbles in the that's not your family member or friend anymore. Right. Or, you know, you know, I had to put my family down. They all dabble in that shit. They all dabble in the I've been bitten, but I'm not turning. Don't kill me. This movie hits all that shit. But it does hit this one, which you do not see in every zombie film, which is further exploration of what a blood transmitted disease that acts that fast could do. Right. 
Um, so group B with our heroes again. Uh, they're Merle! Hmm? Merle from The Walking Dead. That is also what Bart is. He's three characters. He's three characters. Uh. That's, they're the three he's a composite of. Is Burke, Nidri, and Meryl from uh, uh, The Walking Dead. I mean, this predates Walking Dead by a long way, but it's that it's that archetype. It doesn't predate the... Does it predate the comics? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Because there is a scene yeah. later on that is ripped straight from Walking Dead as a concept. And yeah, I guess I could, I guess I could be because show, but it, I remember reading it. Walking Dead like way back in like 2001 so. there we go so i mean it does mean that michael altman i'll start using his real name it doesn't mean that michael altman has read some form of literature which judging from this script i find difficult to believe but there is a possibility he's read the walking dead because i don't i refuse to believe he got that idea at the end on his own I, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's two other people that are credited with story on this. Yeah, that's true. But, so, so, but someone involved in this was aware enough of of zombie material going around at the time to do that. So that, yeah. yeah. Okay. I can... And I will say, I mean, just the look of Bart and his and what happens to him. Um, it's hard not to see that, that parallel. It's hard yeah. not to see the parallels, yeah. I mean, how... How close is that to the comics? Because I must admit, I um, I've read, I've read some of the really early stuff, but I don't recall Meryl in the comics. I uh, you know, they chain him up on a thing and he hacks his thing. They that does happen. Yeah, that well, that is that hap- Yes, that does happen in the comics. They they do handcuff him to a thing and leave him there for. Yeah, I do seem know. to recall that occurring. Because that's what happens to Bart, who, like I say, is behaving more and more Merrillish at this point. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, the, the group that's not in the dorms, uh, is in a stairwell when the guy at the rear hears what he thinks is a survivor and peels off from the group to check it out. And he, he travels Special up forces. one stairwell to go through a door and then go down another stairwell. Yeah. What is the um, fucking very, layout of this building? Very much like time. In this um, film, the locations also behave as if they're all located within Jim Henson's fucking labyrinth. <laughs> um, Seriously, there's a scene later on where these like big furry red guys try to pull someone's head. <laughs> they're all it won't come off. Uh, he follows the sound of come a giggling on, girl. Come on! Sorry, I, I love doing impressions of fires. Continue. He follows the sound of a giggling girl to a maintenance room of some kind where he discovers a woman co- coward in a corner. Uh, and she does that turnaround thing to reveal she's a zombie. So, you know, hitting that one. After some fighting, he locks her in a closet only to run into another zombie as he turns to leave. Uh, so I guess he's dead. Uh, Bart, Henson, and, R- and Rodriguez consider Bart's predicament. Henson decides that Bart's too much of a risk and gives him her sidearm so he can kill himself before he turns. But yeah. Bart pulls the gun on Hanson and offers to give them half a million dollars each to take him with them, revealing that he and another soldier are already planning to steal the sample and sell it to a pharmaceutical company. Fuck. Rodriguez agrees, but it's a ruse! And she knocks out Bart and they leave him How handcuffed. How does he know about the... Th- Sorry, hold on one second. 
no one seemed to know why the AMS were needed there or what they were doing. Like, they all seemed so clueless. The well, but they, they also people. seem How to know Bart who they are enough? and know what they do to some extent because they all bitch about having to deal with them. But I just don't get how he guaranteed someone a, a sample of a... I, I, I don't know. Like, maybe the briefing they all got was far too detailed. But even if, if it was so... If the briefing they got... I'm sorry to do this. If the briefing they got was so detailed that it included telling them the AMS's entire fucking motive for being there. It should have been detailed enough to tell them very basic facts about fucking zombies. You would think. But that no one, including battle-hardened leaders, seemed to know exactly how to deal with zombie infections or what bites do. Well, what were they doing for those three months? I don't fucking know. I mean, well, again, for them, three months could be three fucking minutes. Time probably exists differently for every individual in this universe. The team with the AMS in it wanders into a basement where a whole bunch of zombies are locked in a cage with dead police on the outside, having killed themselves once infected. Hey, smart. They they decide to move past them before the zombies can break out of the cage, but one of the cops screwed up his suicide attempt and the Sarge gets bitten. Firing his gun wildly into the cage, thus making it easy enough to break out of. This breaks Connor psychologically, which is fine, because he lasts all of 10 seconds in the ensuing encounter with the escaped zombies. This is the they got the Sarge, they got the Sarge scene. Yeah, they got the Sarge! They got the Sarge! Because Sarge was turning into a zombie and the ASMR special research teams i started at one point i stopped calling them the medical research team and i started calling them medical research teens because they seem to have that level of education they seem to be (laughs) like 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 13 year olds grasp of biology they seem to have which can be you know learned enough but i'm talking about one who specifically didn't take biology as a subject and by the way that uh uh, o'connor goes down uh the AMS agents are able to deduce that this is the reason why the zombies have mutated to have sharper teeth. It's so that they can bite through their armor. Oh. See, that's a bit of the dialogue that was blurted out, and I missed. I actually missed that bit, because I was I was sure they bit him in the armor, but when he started bleeding, I was like, oh, must have been a bad shot. No, yeah, that's, that's they are... Yes, that's why they yeah. evolved, Jim, so that they could bite I... through their armor. A better film would have like shown the sharp teeth biting through the armor. So I think I think they known... do bite armor off at one point. Maybe, but in this scene, he just chews at the armor, and I think, oh, he's going to be okay. Well, no, but... oh wait, why is he bleeding? We got We got to get Rodriguez out of her armor so that we can see her shapely, fe- feminine figure. I mean, obviously, yeah. No, that's so. That's what's going on. Um... By the way, um, I believe that there is a celebrity in this. Um, let me just... Um, what was her character's name? The um, the woman who was new. Uh, Rodriguez? Rodriguez. Rodriguez. 
Where is uh, Nadine Velasquez is the actress's name. Yes. Yes, it is her. Yes. She plays Ruxin's wife in The League, if anyone oh. listening has watched The League. She is Ruxin's wife in The League. She's actually fairly legit after House of the Dead 2. <laughs> um, you know, she's been in a couple of films and been in a fair few TV shows and that. Arrested Development, she was in uh, an episode of that. Hmm. But her her main role, her, I believe, is uh, is the league. Very cool. Sophia. Uh, so, uh, Ellis and Nightingale now alone get trapped in a hallway with zombies on both ends. They climb to pipes running along the ceiling, and Nightingale uses a lighter to set off the fire sprinklers. Then shoots her gun at a fuse box to electrify the floor and kill the zombies. Also, DDA Emma Rios in Major Crimes, which has been in 17 episodes, runs from 2013 to 2015. I, I gotta give some creativity credit, I guess. I mean, this has been done a thousand times, but... Yeah, yeah. But normally the 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 water's already on the floor somehow, or, you know, there's there are yeah. steps. It, this ain't bad. I, I, I they, they, they try to be clever with it, undermined by, you know... The cartoon lightning that yeah. we haven't seen since the 1980s, but were out here in full force. Henson and Rod- You know it's bad when I look at it and think I could film a Jimquisition skit and have it look better. Well, I mean, it. you know what it looks like? It looks like the quickening. Yes, yes. She basically quickens all the zombies. <laughs> like, opposite quickens them. <laughs> Slonenstens them. Uh, Henson and Rodriguez Slonen-y. return to the AMS truck. To find a soldier freaking out in the driver's seat, Henson's un- unable to warn Rodriguez that there is a zombie in the back of the truck before she opens the door, and Rodriguez is bitten, so Henson shoots her too. Uh, Ellis asks Nightingale to explain why she's called that, because now's the time. Yep. Uh, she recounts the story of being in the Peace Corps as a medic in Africa, where people started bleeding out of every orifice. And the army arrived with a vaccine... And it turned all of the patients into zombies. So she killed all of them with a machine gun. So that's why they call her Nightingale. <laughs> it's so badly explained as well. Conrad explained it so much better than she did. Because by the end of it, I was left still asking why is she called Nightingale. Well, yeah, it, it's and so you should be. Explained. Because that doesn't make any... That has, that, okay, you were a medic. That's why you called her Nightingale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess it was... The problem is... She's is, like, it's a sick joke. I'm like, it's a sick joke that doesn't make any sense. It's also undermined by the fact that he called the the joke in its, like, I guess, original context first, where it's like, oh, they call you Nightingale because you're a medic and you look after people. Ah, but no, it's because I'm a medic and I killed some zombies. And, 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 and it just doesn't work. It's terrible. Uh, like, like maybe if she'd have shot all these zombie patients and they were all dead, and then she's like, you know, the CO turned up or something and cracked, you're a real Florence Nightingale, and everyone laughed and it stuck, and it was a sick joke, and, and she never liked it. Like, it wouldn't be great, but it would be better than that. She seems to take like, the fact uh, that she has this nickname pretty well. Yeah. Oh, I guess I added extra characterization. I'm sorry. So they, they head to the science building. Which is scale my talent back when I'm talking about these hypothetical uh, movie diversions. I'll scale my talent back. (laughs) (laughs) 
They head to the science building, which is conveniently nearby and and, and makes sense for plot reasons. Mm-hmm. Like they just, I got like, oh, let's go to the science building. Okay. Uh, it's not quite as convenient as the axe later, but no. uh, it's pretty convenient. They find Professor Curian's lab and are shot at by a couple of strung-out college kids who happen to have been his teaching assistants. And they helpfully reveal that uh, Curian had been trying to raise the dead, but ran into a bit of a snag when the college said he couldn't keep stealing corpses from the local hospital. Yeah, and and I hate this scene because we're given a glimpse of what I thought the movie would was going to be and what I think the movie would have been better as being, which was, you know, just zombie attack on campus. Yeah. Like, we're given this... I see these two fucking teaching assistants firing guns, and I'm like, oh, we're going to get a glimpse of, like, how this shit was. And no, no, we don't. Um, We're just given a hint that this could have been a better film if we'd have followed the teaching assistants, who seem to be better actors overall than everyone else. Yes. Not, Not great, but better, and just were more interesting. Well, and... Why did the university continue to employ this man? How did he get to continue to do his research? Money, probably. Or did they just find out, like, that day? You know, the day before he hits this girl with his car and injects her instead? It's not what you know. It's who you pay to not know you're doing weird zombie things. So the the source of Curian's research is the zombie locked in the other room, which turns out to be Alicia from the first film, uh, Rudy's girlfriend. Uh, Alicia! She and Rudy returned from the island, and then she killed him, and Rudy's father conducted his research on her. Uh, yeah, you know. Like you do. Rodriguez immediately recalls the island... Or not, not Rodriguez, sorry. It's I guess it would be... I, didn't, I wrote that down wrong. I don't know why I was thinking of her. Uh, it's it's Nightingale. Uh, immediately recalls the Isla del Muerta incident and notes that AMS interviewed the pair but released them when they didn't seem infected and the agents thought her story was far-fetched. What the fuck? Well, we've already established these are... Like, this is following a scene that I detailed earlier in which they showed up and kept asking, and then... Or things like, what happened next... When the answer are you is saying, all around them. Are you saying that this this is the, the the script writing process that this was a game of yes and? It seems to be that way, <laughs> um, in certain situations, and it makes the so-called experts uh, at the AMS look like complete fucking idiots. So it makes sense that at this point they would have just let someone go because eh, the story checks out, I don't think there's anything wrong with her, while Sid fucking Hay could take one look at her and think, zombie me. So one of the TAs opens the door to the zombie room and they collect a sample, and hey! TAs who know more about the situation that they were earlier talking down to a medical research team. I'm sorry, I need to reinforce how incompetent they are. Yeah, no, they're, they're very, very incompetent. They're being berated by teens, and rightly so, because they they were asking for the basics of what a zombie outbreak looks like. Yep, pretty much. That's... Yes. What happened here? You fucking idiots. Fucking clowns. Amateurs. Jokes. Slap in the face. So, you know, they, they open this door. They, you know, they get the sample, and then the door closes behind them. Why wouldn't you stand 
at the door. You know that the, there's a zombie in there. It's locked in there. Why would you let the fucking door close? Hey, don't, uh, don't besmatch the talents of our fine boys and girls at the AMS fighting to keep us all safe. They know what they're doing. They meant for their door to close. And so they're looking out the window. And lo and behold, the TAs are standing there not looking behind them when a bunch of zombies come right up behind them and attack them. And we learned that even people smarter than the AMS are very stupid. But then the door just opens because the TA's hand has been, been, arm has been ripped off and just happened to land on the hand scanner necessary to open this room. Yeah, I thought like maybe it was, uh, you know, with her last energy, even though she was dying, she was reaching to help other people. But it's not really how it comes off. It's just a hand on a thing. And yeah, it just was there. Like they didn't show it happening. So it's just there. Um, and the zombies are too distracted by their feast to stop. Ellis and Nightingale from just wandering out, so they do. Yeah, 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 pretty much. And these two TAs, like, like, they really get it bad. Yeah, they do. Dude's still alive. He's like, oh, help me, kill me. But he doesn't shoot him because he doesn't want to disturb the zombies. Even though he flashed a flashlight in one zombie a moment ago, and it looked annoyed but went straight back to it. Yep. Like, these zombies are so into eating, it looks like right now nothing would bother them. Uh, but he decides, nah, you know what? Even though we're going to close this door and run really fast. Well, they're also, As like, soon as we leave here, I'm not going to shoot him anyway. What an arsehole. Well, they're almost out of ammo, frankly. In fact, that's the very next thing that comes up when uh, uh, they get outside. Ellis gives Nightingale his last magazine of ammo. So they're in trouble. Um, and they have to push... Like the one bullet would have made a difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could have. But at this point, if you've got one magazine, I'm thinking to stop... To stop some poor fucking kid being slowly eaten to shit. Yeah, you'd think a little mercy could be in order. A little humanity. The one thing that I should remind us separates us from the zombies. So they uh, they get outside and uh, they have to push past this small horde to get to Henson in the AMS van. But in their escape... The horde that does nothing. The horde that surrounds them. They've got... Too many zombies for us to write this film off as completely no budget. Yeah. But they've got too few zombies to create the believable level of tension they needed for this scene. For the, for this Where, kind of not as aggressive zombie as yeah. they could be. Like, these aren't 28 are Days being, Later zombies. They're being British bulldogged by zombies that up until now have been so quick to bite with their revolved sharp teeth that they'll get you in a second. And they've got about 50 zombies, not just near them. I mean grabbing onto them, piling over them, and none of them are going for a bite. And it looks so incredibly stupid, like so unbelievably awful. It is. It, it's horrendous. Um, and they lose the blood sample as this is happening. So Ellis decides they have to go back there. Despite yeah. their only being... I was being... begging for the film to end by this point. I, I thought, done. Just, just You could end it here and be fine, but they had to tack on more. No, no. There's ten minutes left before the missiles arrive. So, And they can't contact headquarters because their radio's been destroyed. That's it. And, and we're going by this movie's sense of time, so you know it's going to take longer than ten oh, minutes yeah. to resolve. Yeah. I think there is about like 20 minutes left in the film at this, at this point. I think. That sounds about right. Um, yeah. He convinces Henson to allow this by asking if she has a brother. 
that's well, that's why it was so important. That pathos was necessary so for the plot. Important. Uh, they head to the college football stadium and dance past zombie players, moving into the locker room where some nerd jumps out of a locker. Because you know that that. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I was just hoping we'd just... <sighs> They're backed into an office where the only way out is a small grate that they can't open from this side. <laughs> so Ellis comes up with a brilliant <laughs> plan amazing. of going out into the hall again himself, just him, and make his way to the other side to open it for the others. Yeah, now, I, again had skipped a bit in in like not paying attention and was like oh he's gonna go on his own to go back into the the lab and get that sample bravely and then both of us like watching at the time saw him leave and go all the way around and open the vent thing and we're like wait a minute he's done all of this just to create a shortcut for the other two yes yeah he's done all of this to open up a dark souls shortcut when the three of them, if they'd stuck together, could have maybe, you know, like, fought them off. But his he has a plan, see? He, to hide himself from the zombies, he smears himself in one of their innards and takes yeah, no weapons. Yeah, he does the Walking Dead thing. So that they won't smell the gunpowder. Yeah, it's the Shaun of the Dead thing. Good for him. Well, specifically Walking Dead, because they... they well, they did do that in Walking Dead also, yes. Yeah. Um, where Shaun of the Dead, they just play actors on. Well, well, so does he. Yeah. yeah, a bit. I mean, well, in Shaun of the Dead... They do it they well. They are also portrayed by actors, mm. so they can do play acting as well as normal acting, whereas this guy, all acting is beyond his scope. So, yeah. I also really liked how, because they were worried the audience wouldn't get it, they had zombies have to go up and physically sniff him to let us know that he is smelling like a zombie. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, the other movies, um, they, you know, Shaun of the Dead and, and The Walking Dead, when they did their respective blending in things, didn't really need to, to beat us over the head like that. No, especially, and, it would have been yeah. enough just to say, you know, because they make it a point to say that they could smell the gunpowder. Yeah, and I'm also confused about all of this uh, because up until now, this movie's been fine with us knowing what other zombie films are in order to understand key plot details. Why now do they worry that we're... Uh... I, I guess if you're still watching, you're probably so stupid that <laughs> you need that point. Well, I, I mean, it could have been... It's, it's one of those deals where you do it once... To, like, create that tension moment of, oh, is it, is it going to work? Is he going to get caught? But he, they do it, like, two, three times. Yeah, yeah, they do it. They do do a scene that I'm just going to suggest they tried to mimic Alien 3. Uh, they had one zombie who was one of the other soldiers. So there was also a poignant, like, does he recognize him thing going on? Right. And he's sniffing him up suspicious. And it looks like he's going to rumble him. That acceptable do the sniffing if you must although i still think the sniffing is unnecessary in that scene just have him look slightly faintly you know recognition -y and, and all that stuff um but immediately when he steps into the zombie room one zombie walks up to him sniffs him and walks up yep i'm like did you have to really i've not seen any other zombies sniffing each other yeah like this is a little and <laughs> excuse the word play 
Actually, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get a wind up for this one. Hold on a second. Hold up. Hang on. Oh, the nose! <laughs> I got. I gotta be honest. I kind of stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Sorry about everything. So. Ellis realizes how incredibly stupid this idea was as soon as he's back in the locker room, but he stumbles through unharmed. Uh, Henson is impressed by Ellis and wants to ask him out on a date when all this is over. In this, like, (laughs) incredibly forced, we need to illustrate that Nightingale is developing feelings for Ellis by having another character express interest in Ellis thing. Yeah, something tells me uh, at this point Altman and his two friends were like, these films often have romantic subplots in them, don't they? Should we have one? <laughs> I mean, we're nearly finished writing it. And, you know, it's almost three o'clock. I get tired. Well, I tell you what. What if we just have her ask him out on a date here? And then... Then? Yeah, well, then. She never then. gets to express her love to uh, to Alice. Um, they wind up... Uh, Ella, Nightingale and... Uh, and Hudson sort of secure themselves behind a desk as the zombies are starting to break through the door. But when they, the moment they do break the door, Ellis has got the vent open for them, and they just crawl out. And there's a, like a little bit of like, oh, is Nightingale going to make it? But th- again, there's no sense of urgency from anybody involved, so it's fine. Yeah, and and I was too busy yelling at the screen, how brave of the trained soldier to go out ahead of the <laughs> yes! less combat experienced. <laughs> important medical researcher who knew how to do shit with blood. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the reason that we came back to this fuckhole. They return to Curian's lab, where Henson is bitten by the unarmed TA. Yeah. They get another sample, and it's all good, and they offer to carry Henson out, but she knows she's dead and insists that they leave her behind so she can blow her brains out. With the missiles on the way, Ellis and Nightingale are out of ammo. Ellis grabs an axe. Very convenient. Yeah, there's an axe on the wall right behind them when they say they need something. And it looks amazing. And there's also a fire extinguisher underneath. And Alex said, wouldn't it be amazing if you just grabbed the fire extinguisher? (laughs) That would have been better. just ignored the axe. That would have been so much better. Subversive skewering comedy. Uh, We have one last cheaply produced fight scene. Uh, Nightingale is pinned down and tells Ellis to go without her, so he jumps through a window just as a cruise missile hits the building. Well, just as a cartoon cruise (laughs) missile hits a cartoon building, and then the cartoon building has cartoon fire on it, and then a bit of the cartoon roof falls off. They really should have kept, like, just not had the roof fall, because they couldn't do normal building on fire good. Actually trying to animate it was a, was a big mistake. Outside, he finds Bart, who has apparently escaped the dorm he was in by cutting his hand off, and he's pretty upset about that. Uh, yeah. And he radio... Well, he he doesn't. He doesn't uh, cut his hand off to do that. Well, no, that's true. Well, it, it he... That's kind of... It's true. That's weird. He cut the hand off thinking that it would slow the... Or stop the thing? Yeah, he was like... But it just also happened to be the same hand that 
they yeah that there was handcuffed so it looks like until he explains it much later it looks like he sawed his own hand off to get free even though they left him with a gun and he could have shot the handcuffs See, and that's why i didn't listen to the first half of this scene because all i was thinking about was why didn't he shoot the handcuffs well, <laughs> well and my that's that's an excellent i didn't that didn't even occur to me my take on it was that he had just like he knew he was fucked anyway and was thinking that maybe he could get a cure out of the pharmaceutical company or something. Yeah, but but it's explained that he uh, that mosquitoes don't have enough blood to infect quick enough. Right. So he was able to successfully cut his hand off and be okay. Now, when he says he cut his hand off, well, specifically he says, "I did this," and then lifts it, lifts up his his arm. And at that point, I have to ask, "You did what exactly? You?" You painted your hand red and wrapped it up in a tea towel and then balled it up into a fist. Because you didn't even do us the courtesy of, like, sticking your hand in your sleeve and trying to poke your wrist yeah. out like we used to do when we were fucking children at school. It is. You didn't even do that much effort. It is a ever. really bad effect. At least when Casper was pretending she lost her leg, she had the common decency to kneel up on the fucking armchair like we did when we were kids. <laughs> but no, it's his clearly his fist wrapped up in a tea towel with some red paint on it. What a fuck's... Ugh, fuck. Uh, so... Bart, the, uh, Bart demands... Oh, uh, he, he radioed HQ to stop the rest of the missile strike, apparently. I don't know how or with what radio. No, they drop that in very quickly just to not have us worry about that bit anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then Bart demands the blood sample, and Ellis gives it to him, not knowing that Bart plans to sell it. And then Bart says he has to shoot him because he's going to sell <laughs> the blood sample. And he's about yeah. to do it. But Nightingale somehow escaped whatever her seemingly desperate fate yeah, was. Yeah, she, she survived being um, clawed at by zombies and exploded in a skull. Right. But then again, the fire was made of cartoons, so it probably didn't burn much. And so she kills Bart instead, or shoots Bart, dying. He pulls out a grenade, and the blood sample is destroyed again. Yes, in a wonderful moment where we see an entire van get engulfed in flames, and then it cuts back to a close-up of the van and just to the seat and steering wheel are on fire. And the rest of the van looks completely intact, despite being engulfed in a full explosion. Not even... They didn't even paint a few burn marks on the side of it. Probably because they had to give it back to someone's grandmother, but uh, they couldn't even go that far. Ellis and Nightingale find a truck near a cornfield with a corpse, noting that the infection seems to be spreading. What, just now? Yeah, apparently it takes 29 days. Then on day 30, the zombies think, right, time to move on. With the lab destroyed, they cannot retrieve another sample, and it's uncertain if Nightingale has been bitten. They take the truck to a smoldering New York City, which the radio explains has been quarantined, and the credits roll. Fuck this movie. Yeah, I kind of found myself hating it more and more the more we talked about it. It was one of those ones that retroactively got worse, but I suppose we'll save that for when I ask you a very important question. So, Conrad, did you like House of the Dead 2 or not? I did not. I thought it... I mean, even... Like, 
you've seen this is what people say. This is the kind of movie people are talking about when they say, well, if you've seen one zombie movie, you've seen them all. Yeah, yeah. Certainly if you've seen one zombie movie, you've seen this. Or if you've seen every zombie movie in the world, you've definitely seen this. This is so derivative. Not not just of zombie films, but of uh, Aliens, as we mentioned, uh, Jurassic Park in some respect. Um, I mean, the jokes are derivative. Uh, the Everything about it, the pop culture jokes, they're all derivative. They're all just references. And nothing lands. Not a single joke in this lands. None of them make sense. I mean, we mentioned the Verizon joke, but we never really adequately described just how badly it's done. It's, it's very he, poorly it's, delivered. It's very flat. Yeah. And it ha- it makes no sense, as with so much of this film. It makes no sense within the context of what happened. He f- picked up the phone, said, um, you know, oh, this guy's dead, ha, ha, ha. Um, put the phone away and then just said to no one in particular, can you hear me now, and walks off. And and you didn't type... That joke had really not a lot... It, or nothing to do with what you were doing outside of the very tenuous phone connection. <laughs> She didn't have a problem hearing you. <laughs> There's no established history between you to where any sort of joke like that could have any relevance. You just you just reference to the existence of a commercial in a way that I specifically despised because it feels so long ago, but the year 2005-2006 doesn't feel that long ago because I'm old. Yeah. And thinking about how old references are while not realizing just how old years are because they don't feel that old to you, make you feel really old once that hits you and the compartmentalization falls apart. Don't make timely jokes, ever, because 20 years from now, someone's going to watch it and resent you for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's like 20. I mean, this was quite literally 10. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. So the, so the acting is really subpar it's it's kind of i would have given expositional details at different places or just not bothered given the talent on display the actors couldn't sell it and the writers couldn't write it yeah i'd have i'd have it's 96 minutes long okay now there are shit movies like this on this sort of budget that struggle to get to 60 they pad it out because 60 is about the bare minimum you could expect and still call yourself a feature of some kind. 96 is so above and beyond the call of duty for no reason because none of it's important or good. Why is it so long? 96 minutes? By far not the longest movie out there. In fact, these days, two hours are considered fairly normal, whereas... Um, I, I, I certainly never used to consider that all that normal. I mean, 90 minutes for me was the thing. Even by that standard, you're six minutes over. Yep. What the fuck? What were you doing? How? Why? Scenes are, are, are there's a lot of, you know, slow moving through poorly lit areas. And that's not unusual, but for God's sake, it's not necessary. No. For me, it's the bit... Basically, when the movie's ended, but still continues, that gets... Yeah, the whole going back of, bit is awful. Yeah, the, them going back to New York um, is bereft of music, of atmosphere, of, of very well-framed sh- shots. 
just a lot of uh, basic shooting um, and quiet mumbling from Mr. Mumblies, the ASMR chief, and Nightingale, who is not interesting because she has no personality, like very much like the man she's talking to in this scene. Um, no personalities between them, the least likable protagonists ever. Um, and and we get to spend the entire last portion of the film with them just quietly chatting. It's exhausting. Hate this film. So what are we doing next, Jim? Well, because this one we talked about, and in fact we just got done talking about... Um, how boring and sluggish and dreary it was. I think next time we need to put some pep in our step, watch something high energy, watch something that keeps moving, watch something that people have been dying to have us cover. And then I thought, fuck that, let's do Assassin's Creed. <laughs> this one's going to hurt. Assassin's Creed. This one's yep, going to hurt. Assassin's I, like, Creed next time. I like the early Assassin's Creed stuff, so this is going to hurt. Yep. Michael Fassbender stars. So that's your warning for the next one we're going to be talking about in uh, Fortnite. And until then, you can always catch Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. That's true. You can always do that. And we do a podcast together called Fist Shark Marketing. And you can see that at fistshark.com. Check it out on iTunes, all that kind of stuff. And also, um, I do believe that a game is out now. Uh, or it will be very, very soon. It's on the horizon, it's, if not out yeah, by now. Yeah, if it's not out by now, it should be out within the next day or so. Yeah. Well, there you go. So keep an eye out on Steam, PS4, uh, Xbox One. Uh, yeah, it's going to be out on Steam now, and I think uh, we'll have release dates for consoles and all of that, but it'll be Vita... Uh, PS4 and Xbox One um, also. There you go. Um, and then, but it's yeah, it's hitting Steam this week. Uh, so Plague Road, yeah. Plague Road. Conrad wrote it. I voice in it, and Luke Bernard worked on it, and David North did the art. An incredibly talented artist. Uh, I've retweeted him having done fan art of the Jim Position stuff a few times. Um, really good, really good stuff. Uh, and I. Uh, uh, played a very early version of it on my channel, and I'll uh, play an updated version, um, if only to be narcissistic and hear my own voice. <laughs> uh, but uh, there you go, Plague Road. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, until then, thank you all so much for your support, as always. I've been Jim Sterling with Conrad Zimmerman. We'll see you next time on Spin Off Talks. Says goodbye. Bye. Boom. Boom. In the bag.